0: Coming at you from the One Stone Recording and Mastering Studio in New Brunswick, New Jersey. This is The Weigh In with your host Matt Ward. Welcome to The Weigh In. My name is Matt Ward and I'm a boxing writer and historian from the Greater Philadelphia area. Every two weeks I will introduce you to people from the world of boxing, both past and present. This episode of The Weigh-In features my interview with former middleweight boxer Frank Savannah. Savannah fought professionally from 1991 to 1997. On December 14, 1994, Savannah fought Dana Rosenblatt for the WBC Continental America's middleweight title. This bout was the only defeat in Savannah's six-year boxing career. He compiled an impressive record of 15 wins... One loss and one draw. Frank is currently a boxing coach and trainer at Nick Catone MMA and Fitness in Brick, New Jersey. Without further delay, here is the weigh-in with Frank Savannah. Please introduce yourself to my listeners.
1: In what way? <laughs> I'm Frank Savannah. I, I, I had uh, seventy amateur bouts. I had. Uh, I was. Something like, uh, I, I, one of these days I'm going to have to look through my old books. Uh, s- somewhere around 62 and 8, 60, 60 and 10, I, somewhere around there. Um, I uh, had 17 professional fights, 15 1 and 1. I lost uh, a main event to Dana Rosenblatt on uh, a main event on ESPN. And then, uh, I, I can't, I can't deny having lost that fight, <laughs> but, uh, uh, the draw after that, uh, I had one fight after that two years later and, uh, I won that fight, <laughs> but the, the amateur fights, um, I was probably just starting to come to my peak as an amateur, uh, starting to get, become an elite amateur at that time. And uh, I I know Lou Duva, who I turned pro with, had wanted me to stick around for another year, and try to uh, make the Barcelona team at 165. But at, at that point, I just I just wanted to turn pro. I just I just wanted to start making money. I had enough. In hindsight, of course, everything tw- being 2020, I would have uh, uh, stuck around another year and, and and tried. And I'm not saying I would have made the team. Uh, Chris Bird was the uh, the, uh, the the. the 165 pound representative of the United States that that year he lost a he won a silver medal he lost to uh, I forget who the Cuban legend is but at 165 pounds the guy won like two or three gold medals you know but um, in hindsight I, I I would have stuck around and and, and raised my uh, profile a little bit a little bit more at the time. Growing up, were you a fan of boxing? Oh yeah, oh sure I was. Oh man, and of course you know Ali was ali was superman you know what i mean I, I i when i was a little boy i want to say it was in first grade when ali beat um uh george foreman the rumble, uh, rumble in the jungle um what what year was that do you remember 74 mm-hmm. so yeah i was in kindergarten first grade yeah and i, I still remember on, on the front page of the Daily News, you know, or the the back page—I can't remember now. <laughs> but I uh, was a little boy. I thought the guy, the guy was 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 uh, you know like a borderline a god to me. You know what I mean? He was just. Right. And I remember um, when he, when he, um, I even remember the comic. You know, I, I was as a little boy. I loved comic comics. You know, comic book. not that I watched read a lot of comic books. I loved the superheroes. Superman. Yeah. But Superman, of course, was the titan you know the king of all the superheroes you know that and i remember the the comic book where muhammad ali boxed with superman oh yeah, it's a classic oh yeah and, and i remember thinking yeah now there's the guy who can give superman a go for his money you know what i mean yeah yep. <laughs> i thought ali can do it yeah so so ali was 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 why I wanted to be a fighter. And later on, uh, Marvin Hagler was as well. Oh, yeah. Sounds so great. And it's funny how, as different as the uh, contrast in styles as they are, you know, you had, uh, you had Muhammad Ali with this, you know, big mouth, talking, trash talking, great trash talker, you know, but, uh, which I loved, you know. And then you had Marvin Hagler didn't say a whole lot. You yeah, he was pretty quiet. But, but, but it was clear they both, you know, well, Hagler was always in great shape. You can't say that about Ali, or, you know, at least later on in his career. But Iron Wills, both of them, Iron Wills, you know, they were, they were um, very much alike in that way. They were unbreakable. Yeah, so. yeah. When did you start boxing as a child? Uh, Thirteen. Thirteen? Uh, they opened up the Brick PAL, and I don't remember who told me, but I remember I started going in February. I was 13 years old. And um, I, I remember my first sparring session. I don't remember the guy's name was a uh, Bob Van Sickle was one of the trainers. Actually, it was it was the the, the cops uh, who who started off. John Dietz, Brian uh, Brian Henfie, uh John Keever, and there was one more gentleman, and I can't remember his name. And it's such a shame because he he, he, he passed. You know, I don't I don't want to forget that, but. Um, they 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 ran a the boxing, but but they were inconsistent. And one guy would be there one night, one guy would be there another night. It was yeah. never real consistent. And then they brought in Frank Topham, who who, who apparently had trained uh, was one of the trainers for Jake LaMotta, mm-hmm. and uh, Bobby and Sickle. Uh, but, but, but Toppy probably died within a year. I remember I re- I remember one time him kind of passing out in the gym, you know, and I remember seeing his chest heaving up and down, you know, and I don't remember exactly what, what, what it was that was wrong with him or why he died, uh, but I, I remember he died about a year, probably a year later. Um, So he was showing some of those health problems at that point yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but Bob Van Sickle took, uh, took over the to training and uh, I, I trained with Bob Bob for years and years till I, even through part of my pro career, well, well most of my pro career. As, a, um, as an
0: amateur boxer, you won a number of titles and honors. What was the most memorable experience of your amateur career?
1: USA versus Russia. It just was. Like I said, uh, uh, t- spoken to you before, I was just starting to become uh, an elite amateur, and I fought for a USA versus a USSR team, and I fought a guy named Rostolov Zalichny, who ended up losing a, uh, in a... I actually thought he won. I'm trying to remember. He, he lost to a German... Um, for the gold, the German won the gold medal, at 178 pounds, so that was a weight class up. Um, Well, I fought him in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, uh, I remember before the fight, which is odd, and I don't know why they they did this, but they made me change my headgear, which was, I don't know why, it was USA boxing approved. why the US would do that, I don't know. I had 69 amateur fights in this stupid thing, and they made me me change it for this one. But the other head, and I'm not making an excuse, Mm Mm-hmm uh the other headgear was the fighter uniform. had grease on it sweat on it you know they put it on my head and it was too big and kept falling over my eyes so every time i, I would f- touch push it back up he, he'd start you know one tilling me you know yeah. <laughs> and so and, and the headgear would fall back down you know but i lost a, a, a i never in my life have i dropped a mouthpiece in a fight I dropped it twice in that fight. And, in the amateur uh, fight? Yeah and, yeah, and they called it, you know, I got a point deduction, you know. I ended up losing a 3-2 to two split decision. And the American judge voted against me. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was bothered me, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, if it weren't for the point deduction, I, I win that fight. You would have you know? won, yeah. So, you know, when you when you put this stuff together later, I realized how good I Actually, was as an amateur, you know. Yeah. I was just starting to compete, like I said, in, in that year with the elite fighters. Even though I had won a couple of PA, national PAL titles against some of the top guys, and and and, and, and US championships, and I'd even gotten to uh, you know uh, um, the semifinals of a previous national gloves title, which I, I, I had to pull out of because I had a, a middle ear infection. After the third fight, I just I couldn't even stand up anymore. Um, but I, I, I was happy with my, you know, my amateur career. Even though I, I probably could have done more, raised my profile a little bit more. Um, but I was I, I was I was happy with my amateur career. Cool. In 1991,
0: you turned professional and signed with legendary manager and promoter Lou Duva. Please tell us what it
1: was like to work with Duva. I had opportunities to. Signed with Triple Threat. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but mm-hmm. they 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 had you know Al Cole, Ray Mercer, and uh, Charles Murray, some good fighters, you know, and they were looking to add to their stable. And I actually had a much better offer to turn pro with them, um, but I, I, I you know Lou Duva was he was a champion maker, man, you know, mm-hmm. and I. He had Meldrick Taylor, Pernell Whitaker, holy Holyfield, Terrell Biggs, I think had just stepped away. Mark Breland. Um, yeah, he had, you know, uh, Andrew Golota, David Tua. He he had a lot of really good, talented fighters, and I thought Lou would be the guy that got me to the title. And Georgie Benton was his trainer. And I remember um, after a, after a few sparring sessions, Georgie Benton turned to me after uh, one sparring session and he grabbed me and he says damn savannah you got brown spots I'm, going, I'm looking around I go what what are, you, <laughs> what are you talking about what what do you mean what do you mean yeah. he says no man you fight like a black fighter <laughs> he says you're really you're really you know you're you're, you're smooth I, I've never seen I never seen a, a a a guy many guys white guys fight like that before you were you are smooth he says you know Holyfield brings in money by the by the barrel fill wheelbarrow full. you know you're going to bring it in by the dump truck look <laughs> you're going to make a lot of money in this sport you know you just keep training hard you know obviously those are heady words to hear from a guy who's trained you know 15 world champions and a legendary I mean? fighter too yeah yeah, yeah. and um, obviously it didn't Quite pan out that way. <laughs> uh, there, there were some things that were were difficult about that. When when I did turn pro with Lou, like I said, I, I turned down other offers. Mm-hmm. Um, when I turned pro with Lou, my trainer at the time was was Bob and Sickle. So there was a little bit of a. I remember Lou said to Bob, "Look, I I want, and and I don't want I don't want to bed not Bob because Bob. Was great, um, but, but I was the first fighter Bob ever had, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, but but Bob was very very smart, um, and I'm not saying he was not capable. But I, I was the first fighter. Yeah, yeah. And um, he he probably should have allowed me a little more leeway with with these guys, you know, because I wasn't in their camps all the time. And as I looked back on it, I think it was because. They felt he was. I think they wanted me to walk away from Bob. Oh, you know, I see. I see. And, and train with champions, with the champions in their in the camps all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but they brought Bob along to, a, to, to 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 some of the camps, you know. But 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 Bob did tell Lou before I ever actually signed with him. He told Lou that Georgie couldn't work the corner; that he was going to work the corner. Oh. And he, Lou. And and Bob told me that, and I'm thinking, you know, was, man, I'm your fighter at the time, you know. As you look back, you think, it's probably a bad idea. Yeah. You, know, you don't tell Lou Duva that his trainer of champions... and Lou, Lou is another one who's a trainer of champions, that, you know, your trainer can't work the corner. But, um, so, but he, and he still signed me after that. hmm Even though there was that little bit of a conflict. Yeah, yeah. And so he obviously thought he obviously saw potential there. Um, but uh, who knows why certain things, w- the way things go with fighters. Um, everything has to go right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really, you know, injuries, w- whatever. Th- things, your management, who you fight at any given time can make or break it. Things just seem to have to, 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 to do go right for you to really... Uh, become super, you know, a world champion, you know. Right. Uh, um, obviously, they, they, they talk about, you know, will and uh, and um, talent and everything. Um, but uh, th- th- there there is more to it than than, than that. Um, I don't want to sound like a crybaby either, though. you know, I mean, you got guys like, like Hagler who fought his way through everybody to get up to, you know, a title and guys like you know Benny Briscoe and you know Georgie Ben. All these guys, you know, fought everybody to get to where they were as title fighters. And I didn't have any of that kind of competition that, that they had, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but things just kind of got to line up. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you Things need get to, need to fall into anyway, place. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You need to
0: have those certain breaks and stuff. Yeah, your yeah, right. You know, yeah, but, but,
1: you know. You look back at different fighters' careers, you think, well, if you'd we have lost to that guy, what would his career trajectory would have been? Uh, like after that
0: but, yeah that's a great point Frank um,
1: yeah. but i I cannot make any excuses when I fought Dana Rosenblatt the the, the, the first time I, the only thing I'll say about that is I when I lost to Dana I, what I really want to say is I'm not I, I wasn't I never felt uh, um, successful in my professional career. Career, mm-hmm. I, I didn't attain anywhere near what I what I thought I would get to be. You know what I mean? As a, as a as a professional, you know, when when you got Georgie Benton telling you what a great fighter you are, then you you know <laughs> you, you have higher expectations for yourself. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I um, when I fought Rosenblatt um, the first time well, I was supposed to fight the first time we were in Maryland and we actually lost power. Uh, the night before the fight. And uh, we had to weigh in by candlelight. Mm-hmm. And I remember, when you look at a fighter, you know. You, you, you know what they're thinking. When when we took our first stuff, and he weighed in, and then I weighed in, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I knew, he knew I was going to beat him. I had, I was sparring Roy Jones, a guy named uh, Billy Lewis. I, I was in superb shape. You know, sparring... Uh, I I sparred twelve rounds a few times, uh, you know, ten rounds numerous times. I had no problem with my stamina, you know. And I, I I I was sure I was gonna beat him. Mm-hmm. But then the next night I'm in the uh, I'm warming up. It's about, you know, forty forty five minutes to go time and uh I'm I'm in a yeah, I got my trunks on, my gloves on, my cup on, I'm shooting up. I'm hitting pads starting to warm Ready up. To go, right? Ron Katz comes walking in, Ron Katz the master, he says <laughs> What are you doing? I said. What do you mean? What am I doing? What, do you mean, what am I doing? I'm warming up for the fight. He says. You're not fighting. I said. What do you mean? I'm not fighting? He says. Uh, Rosenblatt pulled out. I said. you wow. did he pulled out? <laughs> said, when, when was anybody going to tell us this? You know. He says. He was in the hospital this morning. He went to the hospital for a stomach fires. I said. Ah. I had no idea. So, so
0: what year was uh, what year was that when you were supposed to fight Rosenblatt the first time? That was
1: it was the same year. That was in uh, ninety four. Uh, yeah, I think it was September. Uh, was it ninety four or ninety five? I can't remember now. Uh, you fought in Rosenblatt in ninety four. Okay, so then it was yeah. September of ninety four, and then um, so gloves off. You know, you you sit down, you watch the fights. You know, you know it's funny. A side note of that, they brought me up to uh, ringside. I'm standing with Al. I think it was Bob Papa and Al Bernstein mm-hmm. at the time. And there, and I'm watching these guys fight. I don't remember who the fight was. But I'm, I'm sitting there right at ringside with him, and I don't think I've ever sat that close to a fight before, you know. And uh, Al Bernstein, they wanted to interview me and give maybe a little color when I'm watching. Yeah. And and and, and I'm pretty talkative, you know. I froze. I froze. Al Bernstein asked me a question. And I went. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm national TV. I just froze, you know. And I went. And then then I caught myself and I said. Oh my goodness! I can't. You listen. to you hear the body shots these guys are landing? I can't believe I actually do this. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it sounded a whole lot worse when you're watching it from from that close to the ringside yeah. than than you are when you're when you're in there. When you're in there, you're numbed with um, a, a, an adrenaline rush. You know, I mean, you'll feel things like like I've had cuts that I've I felt. I literally felt my skin tear one time in a fight. But but when you're but it's not it's not the same as when you're watching it and you're hearing guys thud and to the body and you're going jeez how does a guy take a shot like that man you know? it
0: sounds like you have a different focus when you're in the ring oh absolutely without question
1: man it really is you know mm-hmm. and um, so that, that was the end of that I went back home and then they called me and said you know two weeks later they said okay you're gonna, you're gonna do another main event on ESPN against I think his name was Chad Parker but I, I don't know how to explain this to you any differently. Um, when Nate when pulled me out of that fight, it's kind of like uh, when you're ready, when you're prepping for a fight, man, and you're, and you're hitting on all cylinders, and you, it's like riding the crest of a wave, man, you know, and you're, 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 you're right there on the edge, you know, between falling off and you, you're maintaining that balance. And um, once that fight didn't go off, uh, it was like someone pulled a rug out from underneath you. You know, you just, I just collapsed. I, I, I get mentally, I would, I would imagine. I didn't have a breakdown of any kind. Right. I, was, I was fine. But I couldn't. When they brought me back into camp two weeks later, I was going to fight in another five weeks, whatever it was. I couldn't get, I couldn't get back up. I don't know how to explain it. I couldn't get back up. Was it just the letdown from, yes. the, from the fight getting canceled? Let down. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Huge letdown. And I, I, I just couldn't get back up. And um, I remember I was sparring with uh, Ronnie Essett. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronnie, so it was Roy Jones' camp. I, I sparred with you know Roy Jones a couple times. Um, but Roy was getting prepping for his fight. For uh, uh, um, James Tony, I think at the time. But uh, I'm trying to. The timeline's a little off. But I, I remember I sparred Ronnie Acid for for a couple of rounds. This was now two weeks before the, this the the, the fight on the uh, another fight on ESPN that I was going to have main event against. I think his name was Chad Parker, and and he cut me and uh, it's it split right open and I and I was of course devastated again upset right, and I thought. Okay, you know, so I went home for another week. Now every, all, everybody fought, everybody's gone. I come back to training camp because now they've done a rescheduled, uh, rescheduled my fight with Dana Rosenblatt for December mm-hmm. 15th. And I, I I just couldn't get back. I was in great
0: shape. Um, do you think it was, do you think it was the buildup? Like oh, the sure. fight
1: in a big televised fight sure. and stuff like that? Sure. Oh, absolutely. And then, and then yeah. it was just after that. And then that. nothing to show for it. All, all I can say is I, I, I fell flat emotionally, and I, and I couldn't recover. I couldn't even train the same. It was weird. I don't know how to explain it to you. you know? I understand that. No, that makes um, sense. It, I was just flat, and I couldn't get back up. So when I got cut, mm-hmm. it was actually good, because I probably wouldn't have beat Chad Parker. I just couldn't get back up. You know, I, I probably could have made a good fight out of it. I was in great shape still, mm-hmm. but I just... Couldn't keep the edge. So anyway, I, so I go, I go back home after the cut, and they bring me back again. Like I said, everybody scattered, no reason training camp. I mean, crying out loud, you had Al Cole. I mean, these guys were different weight classes, obviously, but everybody was there. Al Cole was there. Ray Mercer, uh, Bernard Hopkins was there at one point. Um, who else was there? Um, uh, Roy Jones, um, uh, Billy Lewis. Um, Roy had another really, really good fighter there, friend of his. Smoke, Derek Gaynor. Oh, Derek okay. Gaynor was in that camp. It was a lot of, just a, a great camp. Tons man. of talent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, so all those guys were gone. So it was just me and a, a, another guy named Michael Covington, who a, was who's a really good fighter out of... You know what's crazy? He, he, Roy Jones was knocking people senseless. Sparring yeah. for this, right? And um, I remember... He was sparring um, Ronnie Essett, and he was sparring another guy. I can't think of who the other guy. But but the one guy had fought for a title a couple times. The other guy, Ronnie Essett, had been in the top ten for years. Mm-hmm. You know, And um, Roy, Roy, dude, he's he's knocking him silly. He knocks the one guy down with a body shot in the first round. He said, he got to stop. The other guy gets in. He clobbers him in the head. He's down. Next round, Ronnie's back in. He hits, knocks him down. And he put the other guy back in. He knocks him down again. So, four knockdowns in four rounds. I mean, he's peaking, man. He's he's on fire before he fought James Tony, you know. So then all of a sudden, his coach says, Savannah, you want to spar? Get ready. And I was like, yeah. You know, I get to spar Roy. You know, I want to see what Roy's got, you know. Mm -hmm. But, But Roy didn't knock me down. But, 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 Roy was, when I, when I got out of the ring with Roy, that was the first time I ever got out of the ring with anybody. And I sparred a lot of guys, a lot of world champions, a, a few hall of famers and, and numerous contenders. And Roy Jones is the other guy, the only guy over. I got out of the ring the first time and I kind of sat down and I went, that, that guy's better than I am. Oh, wow. And I went, I, I never had to do that before. And he was that good. Mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't believe it honestly i uh, i never been in with anybody that supremely talented uh, honestly like and, and i know a whole bunch of uh, uh former amateur boxers that will on that on, on, on uh, john skelly's website uh, uh, post uh he'll post about that and man i there are countless guys that'll tell you the same thing. Roy Jones was that good. But anyway, so Michael Covington <laughs> gets in there, and Michael Covington—that son of a gun, a welterweight, right? Sworn a guy thirty pounds heavier than he is. Yeah. Gave Roy all he could handle. It was amazing. Roy- wow. He was a super talented fighter, Michael Covington. You know, I think he started running into some problems later with different things different substance abuses and stuff but uh suit so, a matter of fact so much so that after the sparring session Roy Jones gave him a big hug man you know he like that's how good that's how well Michael Covington sparred with him you know he's a lot smaller than Jones too right oh yeah 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 so anyway so I'm now I'm sparring with Michael Covington everybody's mm-hmm. gone it's just me and him you know my trainer Tommy Brooks and um it was the first day I was allowed to spar again. It was two weeks before I'm supposed to fight Rosenblatt again. You know, mm-hmm. I was in uh, I was in absolute peak shape. I, I was great shape. So, but I'm sparring Michael Covington the first day I'm allowed to spar since my last cut. Bam! Second round, he splits me open again. You know, and I was wearing one of them football helmets. You know, what I mean? oh right, right. You know, right. I hated wearing them because you can't slip punches in them things. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and not only did it have, I have the football helmet on, but I had extra padding that's about two inches thicker. Made it two inches thicker. And he still caught me. So, uh, that was it. That was the only, I had two rounds sparring for my fight with, with, with Rosenblatt. But I remember talking about it and the trainers and stuff were asking what I thought. And I thought, I'm going to beat this guy anyway. I'm going to beat him anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to beat him in his backyard. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I remember going up there doing a post fight pre fight interview, and I thought, where, to, where would you want to beat, where else do you want to beat a guy, where better to beat him in his own backyard? I really thought I was going to beat him. And I remember this time at the weigh-in, like, I knew he was ready this time. But at that point, I thought, it didn't matter. I was going to, I was going to spank him. So I remember when we got in the ring and uh, we we started a fight. I made him miss a million punches the first two rounds. Like you can, if you watch the fight, I made him miss over and over and over again. But I didn't make him pay, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and I had a hard time. Um, he was he was pretty relentless, and um, and then when he was when he would, when he would get inside, he 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 banged me up, you know, pretty good to the point where I remember after the fight when I. I took a leak. Uh, it, it was like split pea soup. It was it, it burned so bad. I, I I thought I was gonna cry. <laughs> oh, so a, lot of, a lot of body damage in the fight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I, I just remember when we were in a fight. I I, I thought. I I remember being so frustrated that it I I kept ducking down because you're southpaw and I kept ducking down this way and this. His shot would go over my head. Mm-hmm. And then he'd just start pounding on my, my, my kidneys. You know? Oh, yeah, kidney shots. And I remember at one point being so frustrated that I wanted to scoop him up and just body slam him. And I, I was really close to doing it. And I, I, I don't know what, why I didn't, to be honest with you. I'm glad I didn't, you know. No matter how many times that would have been shot on ESPN, I'm, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen, you know. But I remember at one point, it was I think it was after the fifth round... That, that I had nothing. Fifth or sixth round, maybe, I can't remember what round it was. Maybe the seventh round. The, the ring doctor called me over. It was the only time in the fight where I thought, I got pissed, you know. I was, I was broken at that point. I was frustrated. And I remember, I, I walked over and I thought, and you can hear it on tape too. And, uh, or, or at least part of it. I said, don't you dare stop this fight. If you stop this fight, I'm going to kick your ass. You know, I said that to the, to the and he started chuckling. Oh, he started yeah. laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said, "All right, you know." And I had a, you know, obviously in right away. My when I fought, I had stitches inside the skin. Right. Uh, Not the external they took out. Obviously, you can't fight with stitches. Mm-hmm. So I but I, but as soon as he hit me, I started busting up. And on the front page of the Boston Globe the next day, and it, and it's true. My ears swollen up. You know, lucky I didn't get cauliflower ears after that. There's, you see my ear banged up, but I had a big cut on my eyebrow, a big cut on my eyelid, and a big cut, you know, underneath. And it said, Frank Savannah's <laughs> face has been beaten into less proportions by Dan <laughs> Russell Blatter. You know? But I remember walking through the airport the next day, and uh, there were... Clearly, people who recognize who I was. Yeah, you know? yeah, and uh, I got it. It was a very, very humbling experience. But the truth of the matter is, you can say whatever you want. I was in great shape. The only thing I had, my trainer, by the way, stopped that after the eighth round, so it was only like another round. Right, and, right. And had I known him better, he never would have stopped that. He would have let I, it I, keep going. I, that that absolutely broke me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, if I uh, if I were Under different circumstances, I I probably would have beat the snot out of him for that. So going back to
0: the fight, Frank, you were fighting for the WBC Continental Americas middleweight title. What what was the atmosphere like fighting for a title versus
1: your previous fights? I didn't think it was any different. Um, I mean, I had fought on ESPN, not never in a main event, but Mm -hmm. I had had fought on ESPN and USA and MSG before, and um, I, I didn't. The only thing I, I was was overconfident. <laughs> oh, okay. It's like when I got in the ring, it's like I told everybody. I I kept, you know, waiting for him to fall down, and he kept punching me in the face, you know? <laughs> you know what was weird, too? Honestly, the, the things you don't think about. Like, I wasn't prepared for this. Like Again, like I said at the weigh-in, I I, I knew he was ready this time, but I didn't care. I mm-hmm. knew I was going to beat him. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I remember telling my trainer that. My trainer saying something to me about, I said, look, man, I perform from fight night. I don't care how I'm feeling. I I, I fight. I'm, I'm a fighter, you know? And uh, he says, you know, don't get overconfident. I didn't think it mattered. Honestly, so it's like I kept waiting for him to fall down and he kept punching me in the face. You know, it, it broke me, you know, in the fight. The only thing I had left was to finish the fight. And my trainer stopped that. You know, my, my, my trainer took that away from me, mm-hmm. you know? I just you know what's weird though when I walked in I remember walking into the ring th- these are the things you don't expect it, that I started to touch on I, I was booed I'd never been booed oh, before because you are in his backyard <laughs> yeah. I'd never been booed before so <laughs> I'm in the ring and I, and I remember thinking to myself Whoa, what, a, what a deflating feeling that is it oh, really I is imagine yeah booed and I remember you don't think about it till later but I remember thinking what a, what a horrible feeling that is to be booed Booed, oh, you I, know can, know. I can only imagine. And uh, I'd never been booed before. <laughs> <laughs> Fort Atlantic City all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I <laughs> care, yeah? So um, that deflated. And I remember I had did something when, when he did that. I remember doing a, getting booed. I remember hearing some woman scream at me. I I, I jumped. I went like, ah. So like, did something like that. You know, stomped on the ground. And my father told me afterwards. He says, you know, I knew something wasn't right right then. i have never seen you do anything like that. Board, you know, oh, just the reaction to the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I um, and obviously he proceeded to to whip, to whip me. You know, I I went around. You know, I couldn't mm-hmm. land in punches. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it would have helped if I had had sparring, um, southpaw sparring. Without question, it would have helped. But I was going to beat him that night because he wanted to win. You know, you, you hear the old saying about how guys would when they say uh, he came to fight, but he didn't come to win. Well, i came to win but i didn't come to fight you know what i mean I, I honestly i thought i was going to beat him and i thought it was going to be easy i didn't even think he was as tough as some of my opponents in the past you know right. and and he spanked me yeah <laughs> he, he spanked well, me man you know uh, but when my trainer stopped it i was the only thing i had left was that i was gonna survive i kept thinking in my head okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take him i had great stamina and mm-hmm. I knew that. Right. Thought, right. all right, my only hope is he starts getting tired. 9, 10, 11, and I start turning it on. I'm able to somehow turn it on. That's all I had. But my trainer stopped it, you know. Like I said, you know, it was, it was going downhill. I, every round was getting worse, you know what I mean? I was getting beat up every round, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was throwing less punches, and I couldn't do anything right. I, couldn't get my, I, it, I remember thinking to myself in the fight, Get your foot outside. You, know, you always want to have the dominant foot position with the southpaw. Foot. Your foot outside their lead foot, and, and even in the clinches, I remember thinking you, you think so much about it. When you spar guys, it's it becomes natural. You take your lumps the first few days mm-hmm. until it becomes natural, uh, uh, and then your foot's your outside their foot, and your two reaches them before their reaches yours. You know, whereas if their foot's outside, their two is getting to yours quicker. Um, so I remember in the fight, thinking even in like in the, when we get in the clinches, get your foot outside his foot, you know, like th- that. You can't have that. You can't be thinking about that. So that was running through your mind the entire the, whole, the entire, entire time. Fight. Yeah, you can't have that. Even my trainer obviously told me that, you know, in the corner a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't fight that way. You, that has to be second nature, and that's where a sparring would have helped. Right, Southpaw, which I obviously hadn't had in weeks. But I, um, again, no, I I still was not going to beat him that night. He wanted it more than I did. I I just thought I was going to get it. I thought it was going to happen. You know, was there ever any talks of a rematch against Rosenblatt? No, 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 no. I had matter of fact, I kind of disappeared after that. I was, I was crushed for the first and only time in my life. I went through a depression for about. Four or five months It had to do with, honestly, I you know, I don't know how to explain it other than I, uh, getting stopped was a huge psychological mm-hmm. barrier, especially when it wasn't on. Um, if I got knocked out, I could probably deal with that. If I'm not cold, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's crushing, but there's nothing you can do about right. it. But somebody took that away from me. Yeah, they stopped I mean? the fight on you. Yeah, and I know he was looking now for me. and I'm I don't want to be bitter towards that. But that's all I had, man. That's all I had that night. And he took it from me, right? <laughs> right. He right. took it from, and he took any hope I had of, of, of at least surviving the fight. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, I I thought, kept thinking maybe if I bring him, get him real late, but he was looking out for me, man. You know, he didn't know me real well. I, I'd worked with him less than a year. uh because my other trainer never would have done that. Uh, and that was your first and only yeah. defeat of your career, too, Frank.
0: So yeah, yeah. I can imagine that that was tough for uh, you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then I, you know. I took stock after that of all the cuts I had been receiving. Uh, you know, I had 180 stitches in my career. Uh, most of them had occurred in the last, <laughs> last year of fighting. And I had different injuries. So I had to fight, I had to like, um, at that point. I started off pretty quick with my fighting. I remember at one point fighting four months in a row. Mm-hmm. At this point, I think I had I, I want to say two fights in two years because of different injuries, or or, or maybe three fights in in two years. I I can't remember exactly now. Um, and I was getting married. My 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 my, my bride, my my, my fiance at the time was in the stands mm-hmm. watching that fight. And my you know my father was there. A couple of close friends. My uncle, who went through all my fights and um so I remember taking some time off and i had to I had to think about I, I, I had to think about what I wanted to do so after about five months, I kind of came out of it and uh, i thought all right, i i i i have to fight again you know i I still have potential, you know i still have the do of his backing. And it, took, it was about two years uh, before I, I got in the ring again. And uh, I fought, actually, in Asbury Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a draw, which was... I'm sorry. I, anybody who watched that fight... I remember fighting that fight. And landed, I was a good body puncher. And I remember uh, one of the guys come running out of, the, out of the back locker room after the fight. He says, Damn, Savannah! I heard them body shots from the, from the locker room. I had to come running out and watch you throw. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, man. Funny real real funny guy, you know. And um I, I won that fight. That was I don't know what they were looking at pitter patter punches he was throwing, but and then uh I remember I woke up the next morning and I it wasn't a tough fight, mm-hmm. you know. And he didn't hit hard. But I remember the next morning I'm looking in the mirror and I got black and blues all over my face. I got I got knots. When you fight, you get knots all over your head, you know, all over your body. But you, you really feel it in your skull, you know. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, I looked in the mirror and I thought, I just don't want to do this anymore, you know. And that was the end of it, which was great because I couldn't start my life had I not had a, a new chapter in my life had I not had that fight because I wavered back and forth for those two years about whether I was going to fight again or not. Right, right. And, and my life was at an absolute standstill at that point, you know. Between me and my wife, I was working, we were working five, six jobs, you know, delivering newspapers. I was I was putting in newspaper mailboxes, you know what I mean? In mm-hmm. addition to my job as an electrician with my, my, my father. My wife worked at ballets. She, I forget the other business she had, but, we were, we were a busy young couple,
0: you know? So along with, with the fighting career, you had all those additional jobs? Um, at,
1: at the end, yeah. Because end. when I was fighting with the Duas, mm-hmm. they were paying me just to train. Right, right. So, uh, but after I lost, then I had to start, you know, I guess I, I, they weren't paying me anymore because I had, they would have if had kept fighting, but I told them I needed time off and they just... just the paychecks stopped. stop of course. the end. Yeah. And then I started working, you know, but but again, I, I would not have been able to get on with the rest of the chapter of my life, with the rest of my life, had I not fought again. You know, people wonder why it is that that fighters with all the money in the world don't want to give it up, and, and I know exactly why that is and it's not because part of it certainly is the limelight I mean yeah man it's tough to give that up even if you're even if it's just a small part in a you know you're a four round fighter and you still fight in front of a crowd absolutely it's pretty intoxicating yeah it can be but most of the guys that box especially successful ones or semi successful they don't know how to do anything else it's all you know how to do Uh at the time uh, fortunately, I had a little bit of a fallback. My father was an electrician, and I could work with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, but but most guys don't have that, especially if you're from, you know, inner cities, and, and there's not a whole lot of hope outside of that. Yeah, you come oh, off you know? the streets punching. Yeah, yep. yeah. So that was that was the end of my 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 pro career. I had thoughts about. Well, I remember watching a couple guys fight, you know, guys like Jermaine Taylor, when he fought Kelly Pavlik and stuff. I think I was 37 or 38 years old at the time, and I remember thinking to myself, when you look at styles, you know what styles you can fight and what styles you can I knew I could hang with those styles. I, I just knew. So the thought of a comeback did go through your head? It, Yeah, but but really short-lived. Mm-hmm. That was around 37, 38. And, but I could never get myself in I knew that it would be real tough to get myself into the, that kind of shape again. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I didn't have the time to do that, you know. I had at that time three or four kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was kind of funny how you start getting a little bit of a hunger back, you know. That was ten years later. But I was still very satisfied with my life, my my my, my marriage, you know. It's like I, I, I told you after after that I and I mean I completely disappeared from boxing. I didn't I remember about a month after that fight, they, Lonnie Bradley's people called me up and they wanted me to fight Lonnie Bradley. And, and I, Lonnie Bradley had a style that I'm certain that I could have matched up well with, right? If I was in really good shape, you know, if I was in good shape. But I, I, I hadn't trained since the fight, so I just said, "Look, man, I, I haven't trained." And I was also in the depression, you know. But um, I, I, I just said, I, "I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm not in shape." It's, it's time, time to move from, on. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, if I was in shape, though, I, I probably would have taken it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then you spring break, springboard right back into, into some kind of contention, You know. Um, so, so you mentioned you had a, a
0: long break from combat sports and, and boxing in yeah. particular. How did you get back into
1: training and, and oh, coaching? That's neat. Third, yeah, I was twenty-seven. When I, I kind of retired at twenty-five. You know, I, like I said, I had to one more fight, but. But I had one fight two years later, you know, at 27. But I didn't. I didn't do anything till, but make babies, go to church, <laughs> and, and work. Yeah. You know? And until um, I was 39, and then I had this guy. Uh, he's a local USC fighter named Nick Catone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Call me up and he wanted to. Uh, he wanted me to help him with his hands. And and it was crazy. It was like a light bulb went off in my head. On. Yeah. I'm, I missed that. Yeah, I I missed that physical. I'm fat. I was 230 pounds. You know (laughs) what I mean? And I hadn't done anything in years. I'm getting winded walking up the running up the top of my stairs. You know what I mean? Going upstairs. So, I thought, yeah. So, like I said, I hadn't done anything 13 years. He's fighting a southpaw. I could, I could, I could box okay southpaw. I'm holding pads for him a couple for two weeks. I'm holding pads for him uh, once or twice a week for two weeks. And I said, dude. You, where are you going to get Southpaw sparring around here? He's like, Man, I don't know any Southpaws. I thought, I'm going to spar you. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, I had always told my kids, I'm the toughest guy you're ever going to meet. You know, there's nobody around. That's the toughest guy around. You're never going to meet anybody as tough as your dad. (laughs) Well, Nick had had pretty good hands before I started working with him, and he was big and strong. Yeah, he's bigger and stronger than I was. He was fast. Yeah. Very explosive guy. And, um, I had never in my life had problems with my ribs, ever. He broke my ribs. Uh, one of the, I think it was the first night of sparring. Wow. Yeah, he hit me a couple shots that I'd never been hit like that before with an uppercut to the face and then he caught under my rib with an uppercut, another one, to the body and lifted my rib. And I felt it, but I didn't think nothing of it when we were sparring. You know what I mean? you think it was just ring rust, just not having not boxed? I, I wasn't run? in any kind of shape at all. Right. And I went from sparring, you know, I used to do three-minute rounds. Then I'm sparring this guy five-minute rounds because <laughs> that's what they do, Different right? Different world, yeah. So here I am. I held pads for him twice, two or three times, and now I'm sparring him, right? And I remember after it was over, I, I felt it in my rib, but I didn't think nothing of it. I go out to the car. I remember I had to lean down and pick something up. And when I tried to get up, I couldn't get up. Oh, Cause now the adrenaline's wearing off, and I'm 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 am I'm in pain, agony, mm-hmm. I, I can't breathe now. Wow! So I go back inside. I'm thinking, dude, man, you hurt my rib, man. You know, hey, of course he felt he felt he felt terrible about it. You know, but but I was thrilled by it, absolutely thrilled. I thought I, I missed that. Now people think it's odd that getting bashed in the face, and I got he trust me he he put some shots on me that day. I mean, I was laying on my own. Um, but just to, just to do that again felt so good. And, um, but, but I remember, um, going home and I'm, by the time I got home, I'm stiff and I'm limping into my house. And I, I, think I had three kids at the time, maybe, maybe four One was probably baby in bed. um, uh, I, no, I hadn't had to have five at that point, but one was a baby, baby. <laughs> or the, the the last one was going to be born that year. But I remember walking up the starting to go up the steps, and I'm grunting, and I mean, I, I, I my ribs hurting, me. Yeah. Uh, you ever had a bad rib? Yeah, yeah. First time I've ever had that in my life is at 39 years old. <laughs> I had no idea how bad that was.
0: That's impressive though, Frank. I mean, having a boxing career and first time you get. Your rib next step. Yeah, I never had a problems Ever. After, after you, were, after you yeah, retired. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. I had to be fat and out of shape to get one. So, but I remember, they're hearing me grunt. I'm I'm gingerly going up the steps. And then my kids all come running to the top of the steps. And my wife's going, and they're all going, Daddy, are you okay? You okay, Daddy? And I looked up and I went, I don't think daddy's the toughest guy you're ever going to meet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, daddy got beat up by another local guy. <laughs> so is it, is it Nick's gym that you still teach yeah, at? Yeah, I teach boxing over there. Nick Catones, NC MMA. He's, uh, and, and there are boxers there, but most of them are MMA fighters that um, just want to get their hands better. Is there anybody coming out of that gym that fans should keep an eye out for? MMA fighters? MMA or boxing? Well, you get guys like Edson Barbosa, Eddie Alvarez, Frankie Edgar, Marlon Moraes. There's four or five really top flight MMA fighters out of there. We have a guy, Ricky Vendejas, who's a superb fighter, you know. Um, And he's getting better and better with his hands, too. Um, He's probably the next up-and-coming one. Um, uh, he's Nick's homegrown guy, you know. Oh, cool. So he's he's a very good fighter. We got a couple other prospects, you know, like I you know Cody Mooney and stuff. The, you you know you talk about prospects, but you know guys have to stay in the gym, you know. Yeah, I work with one kid. He's just taking my. And he's an amateur. We, we got some really good amateurs too. Kyle Werhan. He's he's really good. Uh, Paul Capaldo. The kid Paul, like. I've been in with some big punchers. This kid, man, he's a, he's a, probably a welterweight, 40, 41. I think he walks around a little heavier, obviously, but that kid can crack with either hand, and I mean he's going to catch somebody. Put and I mean he's got lights out power in either hand, you know. So yeah, we got some really, we got some talented kids coming out of there, man. We really do. Cool. Yep. Uh, uh, there's a kid from Staten Island, um, Santo Corotolo. He's He's phenomenal as well. He, he he reminds me of the Tasmanian Devil. He's just f- utterly fearless, man. He gets in there and he's, he's all over, you know. Kyle, well, I talked about Kyle Warhan before. I told him in the locker room before the fight, I was like, dude, man, if, you know. You, you remind me of Howdy Doody. You know what I mean? If 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 I saw you in a lunchroom, I think I'd take your lunch money. But <laughs> but, but, but 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 I know you better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're taking your lunch money, man. You know? So it's the just, ki- just
0: a tough kid. So man, the kid you know? from Staten Island comes all the way down to break the yeah, train. Yeah, he comes
1: down to Brick the train. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. impressive. That says a lot about the gym. Yeah. It's, but he's got a he's got a number of uh, really yeah, good fighters, uh, amateur fighters, and there's some other guys that I'm uh, I'm. I'm not off the top of my head, you know forgetting, but there get some super talented fighters cool in there as well, yeah, do you still follow professional boxing? not nearly as much as I used to you know you mm-hmm. know what bothers me and and i I, I can't help it and this is this is a running theme amongst so many boxers. I absolutely hate, and I do say that hate Boxing is still my first love. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I love watching, man. When I watch Gennady Golovkin, uh, uh, the, the the Chocolito, uh, uh, the, the, the 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 light guy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some seriously talented fighters. Roman Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so many good fighters. When I watched, what's his name? The the Russian kid, uh, the southpaw, Lomachenko. Yeah. Oh my goodness. When I, I'm watching. I'm watching him. on uh, The best Southpaw I've seen since Pernell Whitaker. Uh, when I, but Pernell Whitaker with unbelievable offense. Yeah. Tough. What he does, you. I don't know if you can train to defend against it. I mean, what. Uh, He slides in there with a one-two combination, spins around, boom! And he's catching with a hug as you're trying to turn around. I mean, the guy is phenomenal. There's some really super talented fighters in every single weight class. But you can't have four to five champions in a weight class that are recognized without watering down a division. You can't have it. No wonder people Are turning away from boxing to MMA. You know what I mean? They got UFC has one champion, and it's getting a little bit more political now. I mean, you know, Connor's calling shots that never would have been allowed to call years ago, just a few years ago. But um, uh, you got one champion who's fighting, you know, a a top ranked guy, you know, three or four times a year. Yeah. That's the formula. That's what boxers used to do. Exactly. You, you, and until it gets back to that, it's never going to have, um, it's not going to be able to compete with USC. It's going to keep losing ground to, to USC. People love a good fight. When Porter and Thurman fought great on TV, fight. great fight. What great fight! Yeah. Those are the matchups people are going to pay to see. You know Absolutely. what I mean? You got Alvarez, and I'm, yeah, after his fight, he, who was it, knocked out Kirkland? Uh, uh, he says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll fight anybody. I'll, yeah, I'll fight. I'll fight uh, Golov. I'll fight Golovkin. I'll fight him at 160, but he's got to come in at 155. I mean, <laughs> come on, man. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. Come on. How do you do that? Really? You know? So, so now you're not fighting for the middleweight title. You're fighting really for the junior middleweight title. You know what I mean? Or the middleweight title as a junior middleweight. You know? You want to make him suck down? I, I, I can't stand that stuff." Yeah, we even see uh, Triple G. And I
0: love Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, I'm a fan I, I, as well. Yeah. yeah, I love watching him fight. But come on, but man. we the fans want Canelo yeah. or Triple G. Yeah, they've wanted it, and that's not going to happen
1: for another year. Yeah, you know, well Triple G's lined up to fight uh, Daniel Jacobs next. Yeah, so yeah, that should be an interesting fight. But I, to me, from all I've seen about, from from Triple G, man, uh, he's overwhelming. Dominant, I mean, who Who is yeah. the Who is the the French guy? David Lemieux, French Canadian. Yeah. Now yeah. that guy can throw bombs. Yes, right. And he hit Golovkin some shots. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, one of the shots he got knocked out on, I think that was the fight, uh, uh, was just after he got, after he tagged Golovkin. He did, yeah. You know, and Golovkin still almost with his head spinning backwards, clocks him and, and down he goes. And I'm thinking to myself. Jeez, how do you beat a guy like that? I was at that mean?
0: fight at the Garden. I was oh. there, and the crowd was going crazy. Yeah, because David Lemieux is—I, he—I'm I, a fan of David Lemieux. Me too. So he's a tough fighter. Oh yeah. And just to see tough him get dude. dismantled by
1: Triple G, and his jab—he couldn't which i never either. saw his jab like that before. You know, you know, style again. Styles make fights, but man, his jab was on the money to yeah. set everything up. But I, when I'm watching that fight, and I'm thinking of my—you know—I've watched him fight. I, I, I can't tell you. Tell you how many fights i see seen him fight now But when I watch him fight I, He doesn't look like A real big power punch No he doesn't like I'm watching him clobber these guys Except for the left hook To the body I don't care who you are You get hit that liver shot You're going down And if you go down With the with that shot You're not getting up I right, mean I, right. I've been hit With that Fortunately in sparring Not in in, in in a fight But I've also hit guys With that shot And when you go down From that shot That's what the shot Hopkins knocked out uh, De La Hoya with You know you You get hit with that shot You're not getting up I'd rather take a concussion and scramble around the ring trying to. You could you could at least stumble around the ring and regain your senses. You hit a liver, it's you're you you're done. Um, but when I watch him throwing punches, I'm going, he just doesn't look like they're that hard, and they kind of come from weird angles sometimes, you know. But he obviously has unbelievable power. Yeah, because he knocks everybody out. You know, I so, sometimes
0: wonder where the power is coming from. I don't know. It's yeah. crazy, man. Wild He's mm-hmm. one of the the best
1: fighters of, of this of this modern of these modern times. He just stays on you. He pressures you. He makes you work, and he just picks his shots, man. And and, and obviously it hurts everybody. man. It's fun to watch just, him. Is he ever? Is he ever? You know.
0: These uh, next few questions actually come from one of our listeners, okay. uh, Dustin from Arizona. Uh, Dustin would like to know if you have any thoughts on why more fights tend to be canceled or delayed in MMA than boxing.
1: Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of these guys, oh man, when you do M- these MMA fights, and I'm intimately involved with a lot of MMA fighters now. Mm-hmm. Back injuries are the worst. Yeah, I, I, and I've had my back go out a few times, and I literally crippled for days. I've seen guys go in with broken, with feet broken. Nick went into one fight with a broken hand, you know, um, against a, stri- a noted striker. You know, the guy was a, a former boxer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he was a, a good stand-up guy in, in, in MMA, uh, big, big puncher. And Nick went in with a broken hand, you know, and, and he, he still beat the guy. But well, they get those little gloves. They're doing a light sparring. They, they fracture stuff all the time. Uh, their back's hurt when they do jujitsu. Uh, uh, they get their if, if you don't tap in time, you're you, you know you sprain your wrist real bad or whatever. Most of these guys go into these fights. They they have significant injuries most of the time. Right, right. They, they go in with these injuries. You know, uh, when I worked with Nick, I, every single camp, man, I, yeah, I had to baby him through. Uh, I shouldn't say baby him, but I had to slow him down. Right, b- because he's trying to work. His back is so stiff. It, that's all he can do so for, for for five rounds he's moving around on his feet and only able to throw one two is because he can't turn his hips because his back is so bad you know what i mean it's 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 a brutal sport on uh, boxers take a beating from you know their waist up mostly head trauma you take more head trauma without question in boxing than you do mma but those guys up and down their whole body they arm locks, wrist locks, uh you name it, back problems, neck problems. Um ankle problems, knee problems, hip problems. They they all have it. So would you say a lot
0: of the issues are caused from coaches not slowing down their fighters or not having them spar correctly?
1: Just, uh, uh, no. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. It's just inevitable that you're going to get hurt. It's just when the nature you're smashing of the business. shins yeah. by accident, you know, a guy's checking in a, a, a shin, you know, a kick to the shin and you're banging knees or even when you fall to the ground, you know, some guys are landing and their shoulder pops mm-hmm. out. It's just, it's just a brutal sport, man. It really is. Like, like I have significant, both my shoulders hurt like all the time, you mm-hmm. know, I have a herniated disc in my neck, you know, but I can still throw, I can still throw punches, you know, right. Uh, but, but, but I feel it like when I'm done, done working out, uh, 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 now I can, I can still throw, I'm still quick and everything. But when I'm done, I start stiffening up about 10 minutes later. And then I, I'm, I'm, I'm i look like a cripple walking out of the place. They these it, yeah. guys are, these guys are that at 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, these guys are in bad shape, man. Uh, I, I worry about them when they start hitting their 40s and 50s. Yeah. It'll be that's interesting when I to see. started feeling my stuff was in my
0: 40s. And MMA is is a fairly new sport compared yeah. to boxing, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see a lot of these athletes. And are getting better better
1: at all these different arts too. And yeah. I watch Frankie Edgar box Bar, you know. I mean, Marlon Moraes, Edson Barbosa, these guys are smooth. Nick was an exceptional boxer. Mhm. Um Tom blast down in Lacey he was a he was a very good boxer um, but these, these other arts when you're doing all these when you're that text on all your body with all these different arts it's it takes it's, its toll and a lot of these guys have a a wrestling background most of them That's why I've noticed I, that most of the yeah and if you do division one wrestling man mhm you're gonna have also. You ever see watch wrestlers get their arms folded almost back behind them? They'd yeah. Try to pin guys and they're fighting and stuff. That's rough on your on your joints, obviously. You know, same thing with your wrists. You know, they're all grabbing wrists, wrist control, their thumbs, but their backs are the worst. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, back makes are sense. The worst. And all and all of them, without without question, have bad backs. And it's the same thing with all these guys who are really talented jujitsu fighters. But all these guys come together and they fight MMA, and and, and that's where they. Their their problems arise. You know, the, I'm going to say mostly a lot of it has to do with. To me, the biggest thing would be wrestling. Division one wrestling, you know, wrestling would injure fighters the most. And that causes long injuries. term. Yeah, I, I think so. And I'm not saying during the MMA fights, but the damage they did when they were wrestling in college, leading up to their yeah, MMA careers. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So
0: Dustin would like to start doing some boxing drills as part of his weekly routine, Mm -hmm. his exercise. Do you have any advice for him and other listeners on good approaches to heavy bag work?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you use a classic boxing bag, Mm -hmm. like they're like sand and padding, they're bad for your hands. Oh, okay. Right. Wear big gloves. Don't use the little flat... Bag gloves that they used to give it give us when we first started. Use big gloves, right? Use use fourteen ounce bag gloves, and um, uh, to be honest with you, the, uh, MMA bags are softer mm-hmm. I would, because they kick, right? Uh, I would I would get an MMA bag and work with They're that. They're just softer. Yeah, cool. I would because you're gonna want. When I first started boxing, man, every night get hand wraps too. Right, make sure you wrap your wrists. Make sure you learn how to wrap. Right, because I I came home with sprained weak wrists for my first two years of boxing. Mm. You know, and scraped up knuckles. So make sure you make sure you wrap your hands. You don't want to break your
0: bones either. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Is there anything else you'd like to say to my listeners?
1: Um. This was, a lot, this was a lot of fun. Um, Definitely, Frank. I had a lot of... I get sidetracked with different stories. And I probably could have told you a hundred different more stories that you completely forget until you're being asked questions. Right, right. And, and then I forget what my original points were. <laughs> where I was going everything. You know, but that's the... Fortunately, I still have my, at least at this point, my mind. But it was just a really wonderful uh, uh, talking to you. And, yeah. And uh, I, 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 I enjoyed this. Likewise, so, Frank. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very yeah. much for sitting yeah. down with me this yeah. evening. Yeah, you got it. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank and thank you to your... Your 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 listeners, so thank you. Sure.
0: You can learn more about Frank Savannah via a series of links to websites such as boxrec.com dot com and the notes section of this episode. As we discussed earlier in the episode and in the interview, Frank is currently a boxing coach and trainer at Nick Catone MMA and Fitness in Brick, New Jersey. And now Our executive producer, Peter Lloyd, will tell you more about our next episode.
2: Thanks, MW. The next episode of The Weigh-In will air on February 15th and will feature Matt's interviews with Arizona boxing gym owners Archer Petrosian and Sonny Gutierrez. Archer was an Armenian national boxing champion who fought professionally as a lightweight from 1999 to 2003. Archer runs Camelback Boxing Gym in Phoenix. Sonny is a former amateur and professional boxer who runs Sonny's Boxing Gym in Goodyear. You can listen to The Weigh In podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. If you listen to the show on iTunes, please leave us a rating. This will help other listeners find the show.
0: If you would like to contact The Weigh In staff, you can reach us through social media and email. Our contact information is posted in the notes section of the episode. We love to hear from our listeners that does it for the series premiere of The Weigh-In. The Weigh-In is brought to you by One Stone Recording and Mastering in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Check out One Stone Recording and Mastering for all of your mixing and mastering needs. Go to onestonerecording.com slash weigh in and receive 10% off your first session. Special thanks to Frank Savannah and you, the listeners, for being a part of our series premiere. You can now be like our friend, J.P. Favera and support The Weigh In Podcast on Patreon. You can support us for as little as $1 a month. Your pledge will go directly towards travel expenses and studio fees. Thank you again, J.P., for being a part of our team. I hope the weather in Florida is great. Until next time,
2: I'm Matt Ward, and this is The Way In. Hey, it's Peter, the executive producer of The Weigh-In. As many of you know, MW and I are both history geeks. When we're not talking about boxing or planning the next episode of The Weigh-In, we enjoy getting our New Jersey history fix at Garden State Legacy. This quarterly online magazine gives readers an in-depth look at the people, places, and events that help to shape our home state's rich history. You can check out Garden State Legacy at GardenStateLegacy.com.